0: You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. All right, we're reading from Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for this opportunity to come together, Lord, and to worship you freely and openly, God, and to go out and be able to proclaim that to those that you've placed in our life. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you be with us now and uh, convict our heart and encourage our hearts in ways that we can grow closer to you. And just speak through Todd uh, as he delivers your message today, God, and uh, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good morning, guys. My name is Todd. Um, we are finishing up our Advent series this morning, week three. If you want to open to Revelation 19, that's a, you just heard uh, Anna read. Thank you for reading that. Um, that's where we'll be our source text this morning. Uh, any verses outside of that, I'll have up on the screen for you. Um, we're finishing up this Advent series where we're just really taking a look at Jesus as the Word of God and what Scripture talks about. Well, when it refers to him that way, and we saw week one that the Word of God, he was in the beginning. Uh, He is fully God. Jesus is fully God. And last week, uh, Luke preached on uh, John 1.14 that the Word became flesh, and so he was fully human. And so he was like us. He became like us so that he could uh, empathize with us and die for us and live for us, as Luke pointed out. If you didn't catch that, if you weren't here, uh, make sure and go and listen to that online. And one of the big themes that's been through week one and two, and it's going to carry on in today, is that what you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. Without qualification, it is the most important thing about you. It will have the greatest impact on your life now and your life in eternity. And included in that is how we think about Jesus, like when we imagine him, how we view him. When we think about Jesus, what do we think of? Who, do, who is he? What, what is he like? And when we think about those things... It matters, and our view of him matters because it affects everything about what we believe and how we behave. If we're going to be Christians who are little Christs, how we imagine him is going to affect how we then believe and orient our life, right? Does that make sense? If you picture him a certain way, you will act in accordance with the way that you picture him. How you imagine him to be is what you align your beliefs and your behavior around that. So take a moment in your head right now. Picture Jesus. How do you view him? In your mind's eye, imagine Jesus. How do you view him? What most of you are picturing right now is a soft, effeminate, European, metrosexual. That's what most of you are imagining. I just saw I was literally in the checkout line yesterday at Schnucks. And Life magazine had a big picture of Jesus. white blondish, brownish-haired, perfectly manicured beard, blue-eyed Jesus. And it said, who do you say that I am? Which I thought was funny that Life Magazine's asking that question. <laughs> Life Magazine wants you to know, who do, what do you think Jesus is? Well, not a white guy with perfect shampoo model hair. But that's what we picture, because that's the Jesus in the movies, right? When you've seen a movie, that's the Jesus that you picture is a soft, effeminate, European, metrosexual with perfect shampoo model hair, hands that have never seen a day's work, and it's perfect complexion. High cheekbones. He doesn't even use makeup. He doesn't even need that Kardashian trick to pull it off. Like, he's just got it, you know? Like, right there. That's the Jesus you picture. So if that's how you picture him, that's how you follow him. That's who you line your life up with. Because you imagine him that way, so your beliefs align with a Jesus who looks like that. And you behave in response to a Jesus who looks like that. If that and and he, he's the guy on the right side of the Bible who comes along to apologize for the guy on the left side. That's how most of us view Jesus. This guy over here, thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. <laughs> Galileo. <laughs> Got to finish it, right? Dot, 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 ellipses. The guy on the left side is mean. He, he likes sending people to war. He sends thunderbolts from heaven and sulfur, and it's wrath and blood and angry. So this guy comes along over here to be like, hey, whoa, God's great. Oh, you know. my dad. He's always mad about something. It's cool. It's cool. I'm here. It's fine. Let's just walk on the beach together. I'll even carry you around. <laughs> that's this guy, right? That's him. He, he's, he's the, he's the, he's, he's like God's, I know he used to, he used to be mad. He's got it worked out. He's been through therapy. He's, he's not mad anymore. He's, he's reader. He's found more productive ways to display his anger. And so that's this guy. And so if we imagine Jesus that way, that's how we follow him. That's when we sing songs, we sing songs to that guy, to to that guy. When we pray our prayers, we pray it to that guy, the soft, I'm so sorry about what God did back there guy. When we pledge our allegiance to Jesus and say, I will follow you with everything I have, it's that guy. But if that's not who he is, then what are we doing? If that's not who he really is, our attempts to honor him are are actually offensive to him. If you're trying to honor him in a way that he's not actually, it's actually offensive to him. And all your efforts to come together and applaud him actually make him upset because it's not who he really is. Our thoughts have consequences. What you think about Jesus will show up in your life. It will show up in how you think about him and how you live your life. My wife, you know Paige here, you know her, or if you don't, there she is. She's awesome. If you don't know her, get to know her. She's great. She's great. She's gluten-free. She's gluten, she's gluten intolerant. She doesn't, she's not going to die, uh, but it doesn't make, she doesn't feel great. right? She doesn't have celiac disease, but she's gluten intolerant. Now, some of you know that about her, and some of you don't. So, so some of you, if you wanted to love her, you would, you would not bake a fresh loaf of bread for her. You'd be like, hey, I love you. I thought I was thinking of you. Now, some of you might do that because you don't know her. And that would be fine. And she would know that. She'd be like, you know what? They're just trying to love me. They don't know. I'll accept it. I won't even probably bring it up. I'll just graciously receive it. Um, But I'll maybe bring it up later or something. If we actually get to know each other, this will come up. That's understandable. But if you know Paige, you've been in our connection group, you've been in her house, you've texted her, you have her phone number, and you bake her a loaf of bread, what does that say about what you think of her? Is your attempt to love her and honor her actually make her feel warm fuzzies about you? No, because if that's not true of her, your attempts to honor her actually offend her. And so if Jesus is not some soft, effeminate, metrosexual, and that's how we treat him, your attempts to sing songs to him actually make him upset. Because if that's not who he is, our attempts to actually do good are actually doing us harm. So it matters who he is, right? Because we want to behave and believe with what's true of who this Jesus really is. And that's what we've tried to take three weeks and really examine. Who is this Jesus? He is fully God, so worship him as God. He is fully man. Worship him as a brother who understands you, a perfect brother, who you can depend on and rely on, a brother who is born for adversity. And treat him as the final judge. That's what we're looking at today, the word in the end. He is the one who will get the final word on everything. He, everything goes through him. Everything will run through him. All eternity will go through Jesus. Think of him that way, because that's who he really is. Let me read the passage again for you that I know was so kind to read for us. I have it up on the screens for you, and hopefully your Bible is open there as well. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Look at this Jesus. This is not the, is not the one that we often hear about or think about, and not the one who's on the cover of Life magazine. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the almighty on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written king of kings lord of lords this is not the jesus that you're familiar with this is not the one that comes to mind this is this is not the one that's in your nativity set this is not the Jesus we're familiar with. This is they don't make a precious moment of this one. With the cutesy little eyes and the sword coming out of its mouth. <laughs> That's not a thing. There, there is no, but they should make this action figure. They should make this one. My boys, I would love to give them this Jesus action figure and be like, and not because not to isolate him and say that this is all he is, but he is certainly this, right? If it says it, it is it. And so we need to celebrate this Jesus, and we need to get to know him. But, but even just hearing this right now, I know this morning that some of you are offended that I even brought this up. Some of you offended when I said the words effeminate and soft. But that's how you picture him. Let's just call it what it is. And some of you are offended that I would even read this this morning. This is the forbidden book. Don't read from this one. We don't know anything. This is all crazy. We all know that. Don't trust anything you read in Revelation, because who knows? It's a crapshoot. Right? So don't bring this up. Some of you are mad at me for even bringing it up. You're offended. You're like, I don't like a Jesus like this. Hashtag not my Jesus. <laughs> my Jesus would never have fire in his eyes. They're just pools of love. When you look in there, it's like all rose petals and swirly-durlies, and it's all rainbows and butterflies when I look in there. No fire. Not my Jesus. My Jesus would never have that intensity, that heat. Have you ever looked at somebody with heat in their eyes? You know, you make your dad mad, and you're like, whoa, there's a furnace behind those eyes. You felt it. You felt it. You can feel it. You can feel it. Somebody across the room has that fire in their eyes. You're like, oh, they're burning a hole in me from across the room. My Jesus would never do that. My Jesus would never make war. He's a pacifist. My Jesus would never fight anybody. My Jesus would never carry a sword around, let alone hide it in his mouth. You know, about somebody has a concealed carry, you might look around and be like, who, who, who is it? Somebody in here has a gun? This guy has a sword in his mouth. That's not, not my Jesus. He would never do that. What does he need a knife for? My Jesus would never need that. My Jesus would never crush or kill anybody. Never. My Jesus would never do those things. And I believe you. I do. I hear you. I believe you. Your Jesus would never do any of those things. Because your Jesus isn't real. Your Jesus is a figment of your imagination. He's an idol. He's something you have created and fashioned to be what you like him to be. And so, of course, he would never do any of those things. Because he's not this guy. Your Jesus and this guy are not the same person. Your Jesus is made up. He's a figment of your imagination. And calling him Jesus doesn't make it any better. You remember when we went through Exodus... Uh, Moses went up on the mountain. He was up there for 40 days, and the Israelites were like, well, who knows what happened to that guy? We should, uh, I mean, and his God, the one that we're all afraid. Nobody else went up the mountain except for Moses, because it's a scary mountain. God's up there. Don't get too close. So what do they do? They make a golden calf, right? And they say, this is the God who took you out of Egypt. Like, the one you just made just a second ago was the one that brought you out of Egypt a week ago. That, that really, we're going to run with that? this golden cow. But you know what they named the golden cow? Yahweh, the Lord. Hey, you love the Lord? I love the Lord. Your Lord's on this mountain. Mine's a golden cow. What's the problem? We both love the Lord. What does it matter if my Jesus is soft and effeminate and metrosexual and from Europe? What does it matter? As long as we say Jesus, aren't we on the same team? Not if we're talking about two different people. Can you imagine... Like, some of you have spouses who work in offices. Some of you don't have to imagine this. Uh, some of you can just run with me on this. Like, I work in an office. I'm an underwriter at Shelter Insurance. Whoop, whoop. And, uh, and so I have an office. And so you try and make it seem like home because you're there more than you're at home. <laughs> um, you're at least awake there more than you're awake at home. And so you try to make it your, your home. And so I have pictures of my family. And periodically, they'll come and have lunch with me um, when the weather's nicer. We take them to the gardens. The kids run around. And oftentimes, we'll come inside afterwards just introduce my coworkers or reintroduce them and be like, hey, these are the guys I always talk about. Can you imagine if my wife came to work, all excited to visit, have lunch, comes to see my desk, comes up and sees the family picture. She bought me a family picture for Christmas. I, I, I don't really like stuff, but I love pictures of my family. Like That's the best gift for me. Like People taking pictures, documenting our life is what means a lot to me. So I have this picture on my desk. Can you imagine she comes... It's like, oh, here's your cubicle. I always imagine what you're doing all day, but now I kind of can see in my mind's eye what it looks like. And let's say she looks at this family picture, and she looks in close, and where she's supposed to be, I've Photoshopped some other person into it. Doesn't look anything like her. Different color hair, taller, shorter, different person. But I call her Paige. All my coworkers know her as Paige. Does it make it better or worse that I've named it Paige? worse. There you go. All right. You're tracking with me. I know it's like close to New Year's and you got stuff on your mind, but it's way worse. (laughs) It's super bad. (laughs) Like, Don't do that. That's horrible. Can you imagine the offense that that would be to be like, why are you Photoshopping somebody else over my face and then have the audacity to call it me? But that's what we do to Jesus. We superimpose some other person over his face and then we call it Jesus and think we've done him a favor. What? I still call it Jesus. What's the problem here? There's more at stake when what we think about Jesus matters. It's the most important thing about you, and it will drive everything about how you live your life, how you believe, how you read your Bible, how you pray, how you sing, how you pledge your allegiance, how you keep your allegiance when it's hard. All of it depends on how you actually see Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians 11.3. I have it up on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians 11.3 for 4. Look what Paul says. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What's, wor- what's going to do this? What's he worried about coming along? For if someone comes and proclaims a Jesus other than the one we proclaimed, you put up with it. If somebody comes and preaches a different Jesus, you put up with it. That's the thing. He's, I'm worried that you're going to be led away from sincere devotion to the real Jesus, because somebody's going to come along and present an alternate Jesus, a Jesus that maybe is a little bit more likable, a kindler, gentler administration, and he's going to lead you astray, not because his name is Jesus, but because he's not Jesus, and you've just slapped the name Jesus on it, but it's not actually him. I'm worried that you're going to abandon the biblical Jesus and follow some different Jesus just because he has the same name, Somebody comes to your door, ding dong, I'm here in the name of Jesus. And then you're like, we're on the same team. No follow-up necessary. I'm telling you, the people that come to your door usually aren't on our team. The people that come to our door worship a different Jesus. That's the kind of thing Paul is talking about. Well, they said Jesus. They even had a Christmas nativity play. Aren't we on the same team? Not if they think he's something other than what he says he is. If it's a different Jesus than who he says he is, we're not on the same team. And I love you, and I'd love to tell you about... My Jesus, the Jesus I see when I read scripture, please come in. And if you're not open to hearing that and you're not willing to hear my point of view, because I'm not coming on your team, just so you know. You're welcome to to come and be converted to my team, but I'm not joining your thing. So I I just don't want to waste your time. Feel free to move on because I'm not joining your team, but you are free to join mine and come worship the real God, the Jesus of scripture. And Paul says, you put up with this, but you shouldn't. Like, you hear it in his tone. He says, you put up with it. The implication is you shouldn't. You shouldn't tolerate this kind of stuff. We're taught that we should tolerate everything. But you should not absolutely tolerate this. Why do you put up with this? Why do you tolerate this in your own midst, in your heart? Why do you tolerate an alternate view to Jesus? Don't tolerate it. Be intolerant towards this kind of thing. Stamp it out. Be done with it have zero-tolerance policy for this kind of stuff. It's like saying, well, it's only a little cancer. It's only a little cancer. I mean, what's the big deal? It's only a little cancer. What's, gonna, what's the matter? Would you tolerate a little cancer in your body? Would you go to the doctor and be like, you have cancer, but good news, it's only a little bit. Oh, well, then I guess we're done here. <laughs> do do, do. <laughs> That's not likely to grow or become more cancer later. That's how life works. And that's how this works. Why would you tolerate a little bit of this? in your heart. Be ruthless when it comes to this. Be like, it is Jesus as he says he is or nothing at all. We need to take him as he is or leave him as he is. But we don't get to invent a new Jesus that we like better. And we don't get to reject a Jesus that isn't the real one. We don't get to reject him and be like, well, I don't really like this about him if that's not even true about him. Some people are rejecting a Jesus who isn't even the real one. And if they knew the real one, they would gladly be surprised to find out he's better than they thought he was. Teach people who the real Jesus is, because that is the Jesus everyone will meet in the end. It's not the one that you wish existed, but the one who really does. And everybody will meet the real Jesus. And, and, to, and to change who he is is to rob him of something, It's to take away something from who he is, and then we call it honoring him. You can't rob him and take away his attributes and rob him of who he truly is and then tell him that it's, you're doing your best to honor him. It doesn't work that way. You can't Photoshop his a face, and then call it faithfulness. Like, oh, I'm I'm faithful. I just changed some things. I used the smudge thing and took out the acne marks and stuff. Like, I made it, I like it, this one better. You can't do that to him, as he is or not at all. Let us at least be honest with ourselves and reduce it to that. He either is who he says he is, or we need to leave him as he says he is. So, but why are these other Jesuses even tolerated? Why are they so popular? Like, why is this even a thing? Why, are there, why is somebody inventing other Jesuses? Well, I came up with a couple reasons. There's probably plenty, but I would, I would suggest one of them is like alternate Jesuses are more likable. I mean, I like the Jesus I create better than the one who's real, right? As it turns out, other than Jesus likes all the same music I like, and he likes all the same girls I like, and he hates all the stuff that I hate. I like this Jesus. He sounds neat. It's like, yeah, I think you saw him in the mirror. You invented him in in your own image. Because that's what you do when you break the first commandment. When you say, like, when you do not love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, the seat doesn't stay vacant. If you kick him off the throne, you immediately put something has to fill it. God made us that way. So if you break the first commandment, you break the second one. The moment you do that, you invent something else to sit on that seat. And sometimes you even call it Jesus. But you change it into a Jesus who's more likable. He's just more likable, you know. Like, he never disagrees with me on stuff. He doesn't ask me to go anywhere I don't want to go. He doesn't ask me to do anything that's hard. He likes all the things that I like. Another reason why I think along the same lines, maybe it's just a nuance different, is I think that the invented Jesus are safer. Like, he's just safer to be around. He's a safe space. You know, it's like, this is a safe space. No judgment zone. Like, and that's that's, your alternate Jesus would never call you to do anything other than what you're doing right now. And honestly, if, if that's who's waiting for us in the end, if it's just a big, soft, fluffy pillow, what's to worry about? Like, if that's the Jesus who's waiting at the end of all time to judge all creation, he's just this big sweetheart who can't say no, like Grandpa watching the kids. You know Grandpa you know, Grandpa watching the kids, right? He's wink, I know you're not supposed to do that, wink, wink, more ice cream, you know? like that. It's like, I know there's rules, but I mean, <laughs> I'm Grandpa. Like, if that's all that's waiting for us, if that's all that Jesus really is, then what's the fuss all about? Why is everybody so worked up about meeting this guy? I think that's why we like alternate Jesus better. He's safer. He doesn't make us worry about meeting him because he's just a big pushover. And he loves us too much to say no. Works every time. But if Jesus is more than a lamb, and if he is in fact also a lion, then you have to deal with his claws. You, can't, you have to account for the teeth Somehow. You can't just wish them away. Look at what, I love G.K. Chesterton. I recommend him highly, especially the book Orthodoxy. Um, look what he says in here. He says, we, this isn't up on the screen, just listen. We are constantly assured that when the lion lies down with the lamb, that the lion becomes lamb-like. That, that's the other Jesus. We're always, that's the way we solve the riddle. But that is a brutal annexation and imperialism on the part of the lamb. That is simply the lamb absorbing the lion instead of the lion eating the lamb. The real problem is this. Can the lion lie down with the lamb and still retain his royal ferocity? Can they, be, can they coexist? Can you have a real lion with real claws and real teeth and a real roar and a real lamb that is soft and silent like before shearers and would lay down its life can you? Can they coexist somehow? Whenever we try to solve the riddle, we almost always do it. The reason why I can tell you, you imagine a soft, effeminate Jesus, is because we always make the lion a house cat. We never make the lamb a bully, right? Like who's imagining a lamb like with with like a sleeve tattoos and like a like, like teardrop under their eye? Nobody's imagining that lamb. Nobody imagines a thug lamb. Everybody makes the lion into a, a house cat. Whenever you try to solve the riddle, it always works the one direction. It never goes the other way. And that's just a lion that meows instead of roars. That's just a lion that meows. And and C.S. Lewis said it well about Aslan, and he means it about Jesus. Jesus is not a tame lion. He is not your domestic house cat that you keep around so you can snuggle with him on a rainy day. He is not that. If you declaw him and muzzle him, Shave his mane and castrate him in order to make him more likable. What you have left is not a lion. You've robbed him of all the things that make, what makes a lion a lion? You tell a kid to draw a lion, what has to show up? A mane, a mouth with fangs in it, even maybe like the the roar marks, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like the the sound marks, you know, it's like, ah, like something's coming out of there. He's not just sitting around quiet, he's not purring. Like, what makes a lion a lion? and you take that away from him and you say that you've made an improvement on the original design when you do that what's left is not a lion and that's how most of us picture jesus is as a muzzled declawed castrated lion that meows and whimpers and he is not that he is the lion of the tribe of judah who will come back and judge the world he has the right and authority given to him by the Father to judge the world. And he is a lamb of God. I'm not taking that away from him. He is the lamb of God. So how, how is he both of these things? How is he both at the same time? How, how is the riddle solved? How is the riddle solved? You saw in Revelation 19 that his robe is covered in blood. And some of you are like, ugh, I don't like that. That makes me feel icky. I don't like a Jesus who's walking around with blood on his robe. But listen, like when it comes to Jesus, there will always be blood, and it should not shock us to find him covered in blood. You cannot bring up Jesus without bringing up blood. Because how is he the lamb of God? He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by shedding his blood. There is no Jesus without blood. He is on a cross as a lamb, silently taking a beating that he does not deserve. And he's being mocked by people who said, If you were a lion, you would come off of that cross and take your kingdom by the handles. And he doesn't, because in that role, at that time, he is a lamb suffering in our place. He is a lamb who is suffering in our place. And then he died and was buried. In three days, he rose victorious from the grave and he ascended to the right hand of his father, where he will come to judge the living and the dead. He is a lion. In act two, he will look a lot different than the Life magazine cover. Yes, he was a lamb, but there will be blood. Either he will die in your place for your sin, or you will die in your place for your own at his hands. All sin will go through Jesus one way or another. And he has died on a cross for you, and the offer is available to anyone this morning who would come to him. You do not have to have your own blood on your own hands he will gladly take it on himself like he did once for all. He doesn't need to come back and repeat it. That is one and done. Perfectly, fully, forever, finally. Put your trust in that and you are rock solid. You are as secure as his death was, perfect. But if your blood is not covered by that, there will be blood. And the lamb that comes back and even says in Revelation says the wrath of the lamb will come because he has the right to say, I died for you and you will not trust me. I died for you and you would not put your hope and faith in me. And he's the one who will come back and say, I did everything for you and this is how you treated me. This is what you did with me. And he has the right to come back and to judge. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone. Everyone. There is no sin that will not go through Jesus, and it will either be acquitted because of his blood for you or judged because you stand without him. You stand without an attorney. You stand before a holy God without any mediator. All sin will go through Jesus. And so if Jesus is coming back, and this is going to happen, he's going to come back in the end, what's the holdup? We're like, what? My watch is on this hand. 2018? That's a long time. (laughs) What is he held up in traffic? Is, like, the interstellar highway just jammed this time of year? <laughs> like, what's going on? Is he in line at the DMV? You know, is he on hold with customer service? Like, what, what's the holdup? Where is he? If this is so important and this has to happen, where is he? And maybe some of your hearts this season, you're like, you cry out for justice. And that's why this is so important. You have to have a lion. Otherwise, there is no justice. The guy who would never start a fight can't do anything about your problems. He can, even if he wanted to, He'd come back and like, be like, well, I wish they wouldn't, but I don't know. You want Jesus to be aligned. You want him to be able to come back and do something about it, who can right wrongs in an everlasting way, in a perfect way. Look what Peter says, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. For people whose hearts desire Jesus to come back and make stuff right, who live with legitimate wrongs and want them to be rectified, whose hearts break for the injustices that they see on their scrolls, on their feeds, on the news, in their families, it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus is not slow. He's patient. He's not slow, he's patient, and patience is strength under control. Patience means I know what the right thing to do is, and I have the will and the courage to follow through with it, but I'm going to Wait. Not because I'm too weak to do it now. Not because I'm, he's like in the, he's psyching himself up up in heaven, like, okay, woo, game time, woo. And it's just going to be like 2020 years until he finally gets up the nerve to do it. No, he's patient. He has the ability and the desire, but he is deliberately waiting to come back. He is patient. He is long suffering, which is what the old, the King James renders patience long suffering. He suffers a long time. <laughs> Under the, He looks down at all the same injustice you see. All the stuff that makes you upset when you look out in the world, he sees it. And he sees more than you see. You understand that? He can't not see it. Every orphan that cries out, every person hungry, he hears them. He can't not hear them. He's God. He hears all of it. All the injustice, all the stuff you miss, he hears it. And he's not just sitting up there, tapping his foot or too busy catching up on a season of Netflix or something. He's not waiting around because he's distracted. He hears it all and he feels the intensity that you feel about it, but even more so because it's against him that these sins are happening, not just his people. And he's looking at his children and watching things happen to them. And it's, you don't think if something happened to my children, you know how fast the turnaround time on that would be? Do you know how quickly, like I would immediately go into vengeance mode? (laughs) It would take zero time to imagine coming to their aid. And so because he's delayed, we look up and say, where are you? Do you care at all? Do you see any of this? Where are you? What does Peter tell us? Why is he waiting? To give people a chance to repent. Now, you might not like that when it comes to people that are doing things you don't like, but you sure liked it when it came to you. I am so grateful that Jesus did not return 20 years ago because I did not worship Jesus when he came back 20, if he would have come back 20 years ago. And I would have met the Jesus of scripture and had a very different end than what I now, by faith, believe will happen. What the Bible tells me meeting that Jesus will look like now is very different. And I am grateful that he has taken his time, not just, I mean, from a selfish point of view, but for those around. So he's not delayed because he doesn't care. He cares, and that's why he's waiting. But Jesus is slow to anger. But slow doesn't mean never gets angry, right? (laughs) Like Slow just means his wick is longer than yours. But he has a wick, and his patience has an expiration date. And for all those hearts who cry out for justice, in your hope and faith to face, he is coming back, and he will make all things right. He is coming. Put your hope in that. That is true. There is real justice that is coming down and he will come, and he will make things right for his people. Jesus is slow to anger, but that doesn't mean never gets angry. It means his wick is longer than most of ours, but that wick will reach its explosion point, and Jesus will return. And So for all those who long for justice to be be made and to be righted, and injustice to be wiped out, look at Romans 12, 19. A couple more verses, and we'll close it up here. Romans 12, 19. We know these verses, but I don't think we've ever thought about the hope that it actually means. Look, it says, beloved, my my children, those who love me, those who worship Jesus, don't avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. Don't take revenge on people when they hurt you, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, he's either lying or, he, or he's just like whitewashing sin, being like, well, or I'll come back and be like, never mind. But if that's true, then he is coming back. And the reason, the reason he tells you not to take vengeance is because he promises he will. So right now, like in your heart, all those perceived grievances that you have, if they're not legit, he's not going to come back and avenge them because that's just you being moody, <laughs> right? But if there's real solid sin that you look around and see and just want to be made right, don't avenge yourselves. Leave room for God to do it because he knows the difference between your petty preferences and what's actually offensive to God. He actually knows what needs to be righted. He actually knows and he promises he will right it. So one of the commandments like that we have is to wait, to not avenge ourselves. Like Jesus says in many ways, like imitate God. Like Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God except for this. Don't do this. we we'll that leave that to him. He has the copyright, and you do not have the express written consent to reproduce it in any shape or format. It's his, and he owns the copyright. It's not up to you to take revenge. Show that you trust God. Show that you trust him to do this. Don't take revenge. Say, I trust God to do it. You you wouldn't do it perfectly anyways. You would take revenge over stuff that doesn't matter, and you'd do it out of proportion. (laughs) You know, like you'd probably go over the top and or you'd not do it enough. Trust God. He says he'll do it. Trust him. He will come back. He will make all things right. He will make all things new and all injustice will be done away with. So for those who long for justice know he is coming back. Our view about Jesus matters. The Jesus that many imagined at the beginning of the sermon wouldn't be able to take revenge even if he wanted to. It's against his morals. He would never do that. The Jesus we hope in is a Jesus who will come and make things right and that means sin will be dealt with. He is provided away by his grace and mercy so that you are not on the robe end of that equation. But the, there will be blood. Will you trust in his blood on the cross for you? Or will it be your blood on his robe as he makes right what is wrong in the world? As we transfer to a time of communion and responding to the word that we've heard at Anthem Church, we respond. I have one verse I want you to think about which encapsulates everything we've talked about this morning. Romans eleven twenty-two. Look what Paul tells the Romans to do. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. What better place do we see both present than in communion? What place better represents the kindness and ferocity of God all in one than communion? Jesus, the Lamb of God, took upon himself the wrath that was owed and due to us. And laid himself down, and his body was broken, and his blood was shed, because God is kind. Because God hates sin, and He loves the world. And so he sent his son to die in an act of kindness, because the severity of sin this is serious. Sin is serious. It's severe take it seriously. And what better place do we see how seriously God takes it than at this place right here at communion where God lays down his life? That's how seriously he takes it, that he would die. Because when it comes to sin, someone has to die. And this morning, the good news is that he has already done it for you. He has died for you. And so the band's going to play. Make your way to the communion table. And as you go, note the kindness and the severity of God. Note how kind it is that he would do this for you and offer this to you so that you don't end up having to go through what he did, that he would offer that to you. Note how severe it is that somebody had to die. And as you break off a piece of that bread and you dip it in the cup, note the kindness and severity of God and say, thank you, God, that you take sin seriously. Thank you that you take it so seriously that you would die for me. you've, You've solved the riddle. You are the lion and the lamb. You're the lamb that takes away the sins of the world and the lion of the tribe of Judah who will make everything right with the world and we can put our hope fully in you. How we think of him matters. And the Jesus of scripture, the real Jesus can do all this. He can wash away your sin completely and he can make everything right with the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the clarity it provides. Thank you for Jesus, the lion and the lamb who was for sinners slain. And who's coming back again to judge the living and the dead. We worship you as you are this morning. We come to you in your table. This is your table and we come to it, humble, empty, ready to receive you as you are. May we repent of whatever preconceived notions, whatever presuppositions we brought into here, however we, th- however we would prefer you to be. May we repent of those and be done with them. May we not tolerate them anymore. May we no longer put up with other Jesuses because you are everything we need. You are enough. We don't need more Jesuses to fill in the gaps. You are perfect as you are. That's why we can ascribe worth to you. That's why we can sing songs to you with arms raised and hearts open and loud voices and never feel ashamed. We'll never go too far. We'll never worship you too much. We'll never give you too much glory. We'll never go over the top and then feel embarrassed about it later. You deserve all of it. This morning, may we come to you full, of nothing, saying that you are our everything. And may we receive communion with you that you so freely offer through your death. And may many more come to hear the good news through us professing the real Jesus. May we be the kind who go tell other people about who you really are. And may you stay faithful to your word in that and that it would not come back void and that many would come to worship and believe in you alone for their hope and salvation. And that you would add to the flock and the number of those who worship your name in Columbia, Missouri. And it's your name we pray.